Okay, we are live. What's up, everybody? Hello. Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMayo. I'm your host. My co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing okay, man. Things are going good. Can't you, were missing, you were missing in action on Monday. You know, people were asking, where was he, you know? I know. It killed me not being here, man. I swear to God. I... I uh, I really enjoyed doing this, and uh, I, I thought it would be no big deal just to skip a show. You skipped two the week before. You weren't on vacation, and I had a situation where I had to, uh, I had another thing I had to do, another gig. So, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be here tonight. We have a great guest. Um, she's a doctor. She's a PhD uh, in criminal justice. Um, she has a study that she conducted on what is uh, what are the best personality traits or best personality suited to be a police officer. Uh, can we welcome uh, tonight, excitedly, Aviva Twersky, Glasser, PhD. What's up, Doc? Not much, <laughs> just hanging out, excited to be here. Where are you, in Mass? I'm in Massachusetts, yeah. Oh yeah, man. How uh, come you didn't pick up the accent, like you're not packing the cat? How come you're not doing that? Uh, because I grew up in California, and oh, when okay. I was 18, I moved to New York. And the funny thing is, you guys are both NYPD. My dream was to be a, a cop. And I grew up in San Jose. I wanted to go to San Jose State University and study criminal justice because I think at that time, this I'm talking 40-something years ago, that was um, one of the first colleges to have that as like a major. But I come from a very Orthodox Jewish family, the oldest of four girls. And my parents were very strict. They said, no, you're not going to become a cop because you will never meet any nice Jewish boys. <laughs> You'll only meet those mean Irish guys that are always drinking. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were just horrified. So they sent me to New York to go to Stern College, Yeshiva University. Um, and that's the woman's college. Where and is that? Where, where, was, where was that college? Uh, it was in Manhattan. Uh, oh, up, in, up in Washington Heights. Is that the one in Washington Heights? Well, it's the um, sister, the, the woman's college. Okay. Um, but we were in Midtown Manhattan. Oh, my God. The dorm, uh, 34th between Park and Madison. It was gorgeous. But I used to, like, walk as far west as I could in those days and stay safe and look uptown because I knew that John Jay College was there. And I was 18 years old, and I kept saying, one of these days, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go there. And, you know. That's the, way, that's the way I used to feel when I was uh, – I used to walk past um, the acting schools in New York City. I remember I worked across the street from Lee Strasberg, and I used to go there, and I used to see all the kids hanging out in front of there. And I used to – you know, I was this kid from Astoria, like a, like a tough kid, you know. I'm 18 years old. I wanted to act, but I was – I couldn't tell any of my friends. I was embarrassed. Uh, you know, they, what are they going to say about me? Oh, you know, he's, he wants to be an actor. He just wanted to wear those tight tights. <laughs> but I remember standing in front of the, just looking at the marquee, like, you know, the plays that are coming up in the school. And I, I wanted to go there so bad. I went there. Uh-huh. I am also a former actor. Uh-huh. And I, I went to the Strasbourg school. And in fact, he was still alive. Oh wow! And I used to see him almost every day. That's amazing. I'm a yeah. retired businessman seeking sanctuary in the twilight years of my life in Florida. 
Hyman Roth. That was good. That was I good. Remember the cake. I remember the. I, I remember. I want you to enjoy your cake. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the breathing right before he sat down on the couch, like. <sighs> like he was having, like you know, he had to go into his acting mode, like he was really sick. Remember how they said that that Hyman Roth's been dying for thirty years. Yeah, dying of the same heart attack for thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say though, I was very disappointed with his acting. Really? Yeah. What in the class? You mean? No, no. In and Godfather Two. I thought it was great. I thought he was brilliant. Really? Well, I he was nominated for an Oscar, but I, I, I kind of let let me down. You know. Yeah, I, 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 I really thought it was. Uh, I think everybody popped on that. Um, Everybody from the guy Waltz, he was great too. Even the guy who never really acted that much anymore either. The either the guy who got the job because he was connected. What was uh the one they killed the the uh, the one that was going out with the sister, the married the sister. He's got a great book. That guy. Oh, the guy who um, Talia Shire's husband, the guy who yeah yeah that him. guy was a real mobster. Yeah yeah. He really killed somebody in Miami, a Cuba. Uh, he was the guy who was in the cartel. He had to go to Colombia to meet uh, Escobar, and the guy, re guy recognized Escobar recognized him from the movie. He let him live. Yeah, you gotta hear, you gotta hear this guy's stories. He's he's incredible, that guy. And then, okay, so hey, listen, I think maybe when you get to know somebody personally or when you see them, uh, it changes your opinion sometimes. Like for me, like sometimes people tell me about a comedian that they love, and I know them, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, he's an asshole. So so is an asshole. <laughs> I don't think they're funny at all. You know, yeah. or whatever. You know, I just I go along with it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great too. So anyway, let's talk about um, let's uh, well, well, let's talk about the study that you did because okay. this fascinated Bill and I. Bill thought there would be a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to talk about in this. You did a study uh, where you basically, I well, tell us about it. Okay, I was still a grad student when I got that published, um, and I was at John Jay College. Do you mind if I turn on the light? Because I, I feel like darkness. I'll be right, like right behind me. Is that too much? Well, sit down. Let's see now. We got to we got to see when you're sitting down. Okay. No, that's fine. Yeah, no, it's good. That's okay. good. Um, and I had a professor who was a psychologist, and um, he worked for the NYPD. He did pre-assessment or pre-employment assessments of police officers. And I don't, you might, I don't know if you know him, Philip Bonifacio. I don't know him. No. Uh, but you talking about the psych test that you have to take before you get on? Yeah, but at that time he said that this was many years ago that there were more than just one that psych tests for. Do there's one? There's a written and there's a uh, you meet with the, I guess it's the clinician or the psychologist, whatever, and you go over your written. Okay, because back then they were doing the MMPI, which is the Minnesota Multiphasic personality inventory. Right. And that that has many different scales. Um, it's also been validated over and over again. Um, he 
used to do house, a tree, and a person, a projective test. And yeah, you used to have to draw a house. And uh, like people would tell you, put a lot of windows in it and make smoke coming out of the chimney. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and put some flowers in the front because they'll see like you're happy and you got a good attitude. <laughs> so I drew a guy in the backyard with an axe killing somebody. Yeah, <laughs> I did not. I wouldn't have been hired if I did that. But. <laughs> well, we, I asked him in class one day. I said, well, what does it look like when somebody is a bad candidate for the police? Uh-huh. All right. So this is what a house of tree and a person looks like. And, you know, he drew it on the board. He goes, but somebody who's a bad candidate might actually have the person hanging from the tree. Right. <laughs> or the tree crashing into the house. And, you know. But, you know, no, that, that uh, test you were talking about, the Minnesota or whatever test, that had, had a thousand questions, but it was really a hundred questions that they asked 10 times each. Right. Because they just kept repeating the same. Yeah, yeah. I get, sometimes I get headaches. I never get headaches. <laughs> week I had a headache. Oh, I had a headache the day I went out with my wife. Oh, I, you know, I never have had, you know, and it was the same stupid question asked 10 times. Yeah, it was like, I, I never, I love my mother. I never had an argument with my mother. Right. I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I would do anything for, it was so weird. Like, like you said, 10 times they'd ask you the same question. Yeah. Well, that's like the built-in reliability index, because if you, they, they're judging the, the pattern of answers and they can tell if you're sincerely taking the test or if you're just randomly, you know, putting, you know, a mark inside a bubble. We so, got a, Dr. Stephen Washko says theory is that knot hole in the tree indicates trauma at a point in life. And he said it's 567 questions. Yeah. The test. Oh yeah. So yeah, so it's uh it's 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 long, it's long, it's long, and it could get you uh <laughs> he said no leaves equals depression. My god, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh wow. Wow, there's a lot of yeah. A I lot guess of a bunch of things combined, like no leaves. You put you put a black cloud over the house. <laughs> you put like a cemetery in the backyard. <laughs> it's, it's Halloween. I it's- wanted to be an undertaker. I always wanted that job. That's why I drew that. <laughs> but you know something? What you're what a lot of the, what you're talking about, and what uh, academic researchers are talking about when they have police researchers. They had found out that an officer that was most suited for community policing type officer, that personality, was the officer who was most likely to get killed in a violent encounter. Yeah, that's because um, they he thought were, everyone was nice. He thought everyone in the community was like, ah, you know. Yeah, like kind of like the Andy Griffith model of community policing. Right. Um, and yeah, that type of cop is going to, you know, leave him or herself open. Um, and also they lack the, you know, aggression. And um, what I discussed in my paper, and again, I was citing research. I wrote this paper maybe 15 years ago. Um, so there's probably newer research out there, but with the MMPI, uh, they found that uh, the most unsuitable police officers 
scored high on uh, paranoid ideation scales. Um, what do they call it? Psychopathic deviant. That's that. That's the name of the scale. Um, right. And also the lie scale that they lied. And that goes back to what I was saying about the validity, internal validity tests, which is why they ask the same question like over and over and over again. Um, and those are the people who really are the worst candidates. But, you know, those people might actually, you know, they're going to survive, but they, they might be the, the type of officer that, we're seeing so much of these days. You know, like there may be, let's say, I don't know how many cops in the United States, let's say 10,000, 9,999 of them are good cops. But that you, then you get that one and all the focus is on that one person. Right. And that- but you know, we hear, what we hear a lot of Eva is that, oh, that was a bad cop. And I, I they said that about Pantaleo who, um, you know, with the Eric Garner case, what they said used the illegal chokehold. In my mind, uh, Pentaleo was a great cop. He was just put into a bad situation, and he had no intent on on taking Eric Garner's life. That happened, you know, with a string of bad uh, bad things that occurred. But you know, well, I don't like when people say that. Oh, he's a bad cop. No, no he's not. A, you know, that's the kind of I would want Pentaleo with me. But having my back, you know, I really would. It, you know, it's tough because um, what the conclusion I came to in that paper, because I discussed all kinds of psychological theories, particularly about the MMPI and characteristics, and also other um, researchers. Um, the conclusion I came to is that, like, the police personality is really one of occupational socialization. That um, what occurs on the job is what shapes the personality. So Yeah, well, you know, because and they're trying to get away from that because the police department is a paramilitary organization. Yeah. And people that are pushing police reform are like, why does this have to be modeled against the military? That just shows their ignorance to the whole uh, policing organization. And the other thing was back in like 1969, um, those years, they really wanted to take more people coming out of the military. Now they don't want people coming out of the military. Uh, well, I have a friend. He was actually one of my students when I was teaching, uh, who was uh, a captain in the mass state police. And he was saying that, um, because in Massachusetts, they have the military preference that um, military people are going to get hired first. But he said that they always wash out, you know, that because either PTSD or they just don't have like they can't they don't fit right. They don't they can't think for themselves. They don't have the autonomy to make a decision. And it, you do it. As a cop, you have to make, you know, split-second decisions. Right. Because circumstances can change, like, so quickly. I think um, maybe that has to do with when you were in the military. Because when I went through the academy, we, were, we weren't really in a war time. So the people that were coming out of the military that I was in the academy with, they got along just fine. As a matter of fact, they went on to be the company commanders. 
because um, that's the way you picked like the company commander in, in the academy class was usually somebody who had military experience and uh they they got along just fine <clears throat> maybe when maybe it's when you come back from a war i think or something but um I, I I never saw a problem with anybody who was in the military. I, they actually were probably one of the the better officers when I was uh, when I was working, or I would actually choose to work with with somebody who you know had that type of discipline. When was that? When you were working with them? Well, I came on in '92. So if you look at somebody okay. who just came out of doing four or six years, you're talking about somebody who was. Um, you know, probably late 80s, uh, early 90s. So there wasn't really a war going on at that time. Right. You could go in, do your time, and come out. And But maybe maybe, maybe it does have something to do with, uh, you know, being in a war time. But uh, from, from what I saw on the job, at least here in NYPD, most of the people that had military experience were, were really good cops. Okay. Yeah, it's just... Like ninety two, that was probably yeah, that was after the first Gulf War with uh, uh, George Bush the senior. Um, but a lot of the kids uh, that were you know coming out of the military when I was teaching had actually been in active war zones, mm -hmm. and um, you know I'm not a psychologist. I have a master's in forensic psychology and my doctorate's in criminal justice. So, um, you know, I can't say with any specificity. That's that, a tough uh, word to say, isn't it? I know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I can't say like three quarters of the American words, but I could, I could say specificity. <laughs> <laughs> like for some reason, that, one, that word comes right out, specificity. <laughs> You know, Aviva, I taught I taught at a college, and I had this great um, a female. It was in my class who was a Marine, and she was in uh, she was in Iraq, and she would have been a great candidate for the NYPD, but they wouldn't even take her because she had PTSD. Uh, okay. Oh wow. Yeah, and I mean, she was a leader. She was smart. She had all the skills like they would have loved, and. They, she was just disqualified right out of the box for that. Did they do what kind of psych testing? Did they do? No, I mean, if you even admit to PTSD, you're disqualified. I don't even think you get to the psych test. You know? Wow. Hey, don't you think it's safe to say that if uh, you wanted to take and become a police officer right now, like in New York City or any one of these uh, big cities, that uh, you should fail the psychological just based on that. Like, what's the matter with you? You haven't read a newspaper? How could you want this job right now? Something's <laughs> going to be seriously wrong with you. <laughs> Don't you watch the news? <laughs> I still want to be a cop, but I'm way too old. <laughs> if they ever started recruiting senior citizens, I first. You could, go, you could go down to Florida and get on one of those uh, gated community police forces. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but um, and I, I was thinking know. about that too. I mean, you know, like it's a shame that you know. Well, I got out uh, right after twenty, but if I could go back right now just to to do like a part time thing, why not? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you, Detective Pat, who's been on our show numerous times. 
he was a very colorful character. He was a detective in the two, three straight He works as a part-time cop right now. He was going to training, and the lieutenant given the training recognized him from the police off the cuff show. Uh -huh. He said to him, Are you Detective Pat? And he goes, Yeah, he goes, Oh, I love that show. <laughs> he felt like a little celebrity, you know. Detective Pat is the best. <laughs> The funny stuff. So, what do you, what do you think about what's going on with the police right now? We'd have to ask you that the whole defunding thing, the um, anti-police. Uh, you know, I think that that is just part of this whole woke environment. You know, the cancel culture, which is extremely disturbing, and uh, to me, and I'm I'm not like a some right wing person. I'm not even a left wing person. I'm just you know, middle of the road, but, you know, people who scream about that, they don't, they really do need to, to understand what's going on and how the majority of departments don't have incidents like that. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, we've had a spate of them and I, I really deplore those officers who committed those acts. I really, you know, like uh, Derek Chauvin, I, you know, I do think he was guilty of murder, and I think that it was um, disgraceful. But what you have to, you know, weigh in the balance is, um, you know, he did that against how many officers there are, against how many citizen and police encounters. Right. A surgeon right now in California is killing a patient, and when he does... Is a surgeon in New York going to be penalized for it? You know what I mean? Yeah. That was yeah. the only profession that that happens in. A cop does something in Minnesota, and the entire nation's police are vilified over it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Since you have, um, you know, you've studied psychology and, and all that, where are we right now mentally as a nation when you can pull over? I don't know what she was. Now that her, her name finally made the thing, I'm sorry that I didn't pull up her name. I wish I could just. Figure she was. She was also a professor, Mark. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say college teacher because I don't know. I don't know if she was actually a professor, but one of her comments was, "You're not even white. You wish you were white." Because she was talking to a Mexican officer, and she said, uh, "Did you see the incident?" Yeah, she was saying, I, "I'm not. I don't want you to pull me over. You're going to murder me." Yeah, you're going to murder me, and um, you know, it just happened to be all caught on tape. I mean, just the complete. And she happened to be an African American, and she was yeah. putting down this Mexican police officer. Well, they found out who she was, and they, they they've been posting it now. But um, yeah. you know, we're talking about a, a situation right now where you're grasping at you're looking at somebody, uh, and you're looking at their name on the on their bat, on their shield, and you're saying to yourself, "Oh, he's Mexican, but he wish you wish you were white. You'll never be white," she said. Like, where are we as a society right now where, oh, you're going to murder me? It's a car stop because I forget even what the car stop was for. She was on her cell phone. Oh, yeah, she was on her cell phone. Yeah. And she was still on her cell phone the whole, yeah. whole time. She's just You know, things have changed so much because if I would have uh, ordered someone for a license registration insurance card and they didn't give it to me, there was no supervisor coming to the scene. I was pulling out them out through the window and I was handcuffing them and they were going to jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. These cops are so patient now because everything's video, you know, on video. And they, she said, "I want your supervisor." What right does she have to request a supervisor? Well, the supervisor came. 
Everyone is so like afraid to do police work. Because I always wanted to see how many supervisors we can go through. Like, let's say she she gets pulled over. She's like, I want to see your supervisor. He goes, okay. And the sergeant comes over. And then he she goes, I want to see your supervisor. So then the lieutenant, have to call the lieutenant, then the captain. And before you know it, the president of the United States. <laughs> you know, I just think that we're, we're in this trap. We have this woke cancel culture. Um, and what, what I see, because I do, I may not be aware of that situation you were just describing, but I do see a lack of civility. I know. Um, total lack of civility. This notion that you can do whatever you want and nobody is going to be able to say boo to you. You don't have to respect the police. Um, you don't have to respect, um, you know, there's a social contract with the police. That you Well, know you, know, you know what's going to happen? When I was a kid growing up here, you can go to a different state and it was not even a different state. You could be in New York. You could be in New York doing something and then drive off to Nassau County or Suffolk County and get arrested and like do time for something that you probably would have been let go. So you didn't even have to leave the state. But we're creating a situation right now where states are, cre are uh, some states are amping up their laws and uh, really getting uh, tighter and more stringent. And you're going to have these dummies that are going to just float around from one state, go into another state, think they could still do the same thing over here. And next thing you know, they're going to get locked up and do a lot of time. And that will create, like, so you got to know exactly where you're going, where you're well, traveling. Mark, Perps always knew not to cross that Nassau County border. Yeah. Because they knew Nassau County didn't play around. No. I don't know if it's still true, but they used to know, no, I ain't doing anything in Nassau. They don't play yeah. in Nassau. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yep. Yep. My but I think it's even maybe Nassau. changed there too. I mean, if you look at what Florida is doing, what Texas is doing, all these other, like Texas is going to pass a law right now where you don't even have to show ID when you want to buy a gun. <laughs> I know. So like, I we're, we're going like, I, I forget it. Forget that I said that. I'm not 100% sure that's a fact. I, I regret saying that. But there, if there is a new yeah. law in Texas that is coming up, which is going to make it easier to carry. Let's put it that way. Even the law enforcement's nervous about this law. Oh yeah, and that's why I picked up on it. But um, we're, we're we're doing this drastic measuring, you know, just to to break away from everything that's going on with the federal government. What they're trying to pass, they're going through a, a complete different thing. So, from state to state, laws are going to vary like tremendously, tremendously. Yeah, they're, well, it's a reaction. It's reaction, uh, cancel culture. Um, you know, on the one hand, you have people who totally, totally have a lack of respect for, for the law, mm -hmm. the law officers, just a total lack of respect. And then you're going to turn around and give those same people the right to own weapons. You know, the state, it, it just, I don't know. Uh, you well, know, as far as the mood in the country, I am not uh, very optimistic these days. We got a couple of people, Bill. Uh, I Ange. Angie gave us a uh, $10 super chat, plus she took pictures of me today. Thank you, Angie, for your great photography down at uh, 35 Worth Street. <laughs> what was the pictures for? What are you doing? No headshot? For, uh, for Ed's uh, podcast, to the I point. Headshot. Yeah. 
Uh, we had another. Uh, didn't we have another? Uh, yeah, we did have another uh, super chat. Mike, uh, I think it was Mike Machulio. Machulio, do you like Mark 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 Cooley? I can't say his name. Marcusilli. Mike Marcusilli, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Are you asking me? <laughs> oh, there. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. You can't pronounce anything. <laughs> well, I can do. Uh, Mike Mark Mike Marcusilli. Yeah, I said it right. Not bad for an Irish guy, right? And Joe Murray comes through. Joe oh Murray. my God, Joe Murray! Thank you, Joe. Joe came through this, uh, my taping too. Um, what do you think we should do the commercials, Bill? Yeah, I think you go ahead. You want to do your uh, yeah. your hot sauce commercial? Oh yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Jeff Levine, he sent us another check. So thank you, Jeff Levine. <laughs> uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, we are sponsored by the best hot sauce in the world. Silk City hot sauce is made in small batches with pure ingredients using locally grown peppers. That is the foundation of every bottle of Silk City hot sauce. There are several flavors from mild to wild, and you got to see the labels. Each sauce features awesome original artwork. Check out the uh, Bobby Biggs Chipotle Aztec Attack Badass Jew Slurp. That's my favorite one, by the way, Badass Jew. Jews know how to eat, man. I always eat whatever whatever they recommend. Oh, better is Jew. It's the best hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Slurp, mango, madness, climate change, maple dragon, killer hot, ghost whisper. Uh, I eat it. I have put it on all my food. I've I've gone through uh, Bill's. Oh, yeah, Jeff, if you're out there, uh, we could use some more. And when I say we, I'm going to eat Bill's again. Um, <laughs> it's called uh, SilkCityHotSauce.com. That's the website. And if you put in the coupon code for uh, OTC for off the cuff, you'll get a 15% discount. And the bottles are only like like $5.99 each. So you can get four bottles for uh, for 20 bucks, and you'll be hooked up for months. Trust me. You'll enjoy it. It's all natural ingredients, and uh, it tastes really, really good. And uh, highly recommend it. Scotty Wagner, thank you so much for the $4.99 super chat. You guys getting sick and tired in New York? You want to move down to Myrtle Beach? Well, Carol Waters of the Beach Realty Group has been buying and selling property in the Myrtle Beach area for 11 years now. Carol and her husband, Rob Mayen, retired FDNY firefighter, was also a rollover from the NYPD. They work as a team. Carol's been a multi-million dollar producer for the past 10 years. They have great knowledge of all aspects of the real estate industry. Carol is well known around the Irish community in New York. She worked in Fitzpatrick's Manhattan Hotel for over 20 years behind the stick. Originally born in the Bronx, and brought up in County Mayo, Ireland. Contact Carol Waters for all your real estate needs in the Myrtle Beach area. Carol Waters sell, sells Myrtle Beach at gmail.com, 914-261-6681. I recommended somebody to uh, Carol. That's great. A comedy producer from Jersey. His name is James Benedetto. So, Carol, if you hear from him, I send him over to you. <laughs> He's relocating over there. So... Um, Everyone's moving down to Florida, though. Florida's overflowing now yeah, with New Yorkers. I would, I would, I would move to uh, South Carolina before I moved to Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like Florida's nice. Florida's too much, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I'd rather be over there. I think it's nice, a little bit quieter, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. Joan Guerrero says she uses more Tabasco than ketchup. <laughs> oh yeah you know what i think turned people off when hillary clinton had hot sauce in her bag <laughs> remember she said that uh, yeah. oh i carry hot sauce in my pocketbook it was so phony it was ridiculous uh, maybe she does yeah. 
and I carry extra clips. <laughs> Maybe she carry extra you. magazines. Even if you do, like, uh, even if you do, you probably like. I carry Cremora with me because uh, <laughs> if I have my coffee, I just order it black, and then I use my own Cremora. Uh, I just, uh, I don't, I don't want to deal with the dairy. Doesn't agree with me. <laughs> but people do weird things, like. But I'm not gonna break it out in an interview and go, "Hey, I'm down with Cremora." Oh, that's why you always have to see people. it in the house. <laughs> you see people stealing sweet and low because it was expensive, right? Oh, back in the day, yeah, 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 yeah. Stealing it from the diner, you know. I remember I used to use sweet and low, but uh, yeah, you have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. They, they do you still make it. I thought it wasn't bad for you. It is. Everything's bad for you. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So I have two friends that are doctors at Wake Forest Medical School. And they both said very little has anything to do with you dying earlier than your genetics. And they said, as long as you live a relatively healthy life, what's determining life uh, expectancy and a healthy life basically is more your genetics than anything else. Yeah, predisposed. Yeah. 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 Um, I just want to give a shout out to my uh, my friend, Bobby Gretler. I worked with him in the task force and he's going through uh, his cancer battle. And uh, you know he just got the uh, the word that the the chemo is is not going to work for him anymore after so many so many bouts of chemo. So uh, you know he's a I got stories for days. You know there's people that you work with on the job and you develop these relationships. And uh, Bobby, the stories that I have are the funny stories, fu but you can't I can't ever tell people. They're just so bad. <laughs> It's so it's so bad, but it's so funny. Like it's something that you do, like you tell people in private. Like, but we had a great we had great times on the job. That's what you know. That's what you wind up missing about the job the most. And then, um, you know, it's just it's so sad when you see somebody who's who's sick and and uh, you know you can't help them. I don't know. I, I wish there was something I can do. You know, for all the uh, folks out there, even people in the chat, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And all, most of the people that watch this show, a lot of people were there. And uh, we always like to give a special shout out to all of our compadres from uh, that responded to uh, the World Trade Center on 9-11. And we lost so many people, not just on that day, we're continuing to lose people from 9-11 cancer and all these kind of... Uh, these 9-11 diseases that they never saw before. So I just want to shout out to all first responders. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like what kind of work are you doing up there right now in Mass now? Um, I'm still writing. I just had a textbook published on research methods, and I have an article. My two main research interests are policing, psychology of policing, and then a second one, um, you met my son earlier, um, is deafness and the psychology of deafness as well as language or my hypothesized language deprivation that some deaf people go through uh, because they're born into hearing families. So they don't learn language from their families. They learn it once they go to school. Yeah, that's interesting that you said that. I, I grew up with a uh, I had a friend that was deaf growing up. Well, I met him as a teenager, but I know that he went to the deaf school in our neighborhood, and um, we used to party, man. Yeah. We used to, 
and he would scream. Ah, we were riding around with story, <laughs> story We should do a comedy bit on that and one. <laughs> and when he would get, well, you know, because we would get, we would get fired up all night. We were, we were, you know, we were getting fired. And then in the, in the convertible, ah, like in the back seat, you know. And he'd be like, Evan, calm down, calm down. I'm gonna get pulled over. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing, uh, like the, um, just you know, with with the deaf, because you know more people should know the language. I'm embarrassed that I don't know it. We should all. That's what you know. If you want to teach something in school, for crying out loud, you want to add something to the curriculum right now instead of all these freaking nonsense they want to add. Oh, add sign language. I mean, that is the ground. That's a ground ball. It's another language. You can help everybody fit in. And you can even communicate to, with, with with each other sometimes if yeah. you had a quiet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, my husband and I will, you know, use sign language, and we're both hearing. Uh huh. Um, we just want to say something. He's on the other side of the room, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's, but I have to say that we are not. My son is fluent in American Sign Language. Uh huh. Um, I'm a continual learner of American Sign Language because it is so, it is a hard language to learn because it's not English. I mean, think about how interesting it is, too. You could actually talk about other people in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go to another. It's not like you got to do another. Oh, oh, I know what you're saying. I speak Greek. I speak Greek. You didn't know I was. But <laughs> how many people know sign language? You like, Look at this idiot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, <laughs> guy's, I, this guy's talking shit. <laughs> I have a funny story. I have a friend who's um, deaf and, you know, because of my interest in um, law enforcement and, and deaf people, and we were talking um, and she said that she would always be able to sign her way out of a ticket if she got pulled over by a police oh, officer. So brilliant. Because the, the officer wouldn't understand sign language and feel sorry for her. Yeah. She was pulled over in Hartford, Connecticut. And Hartford is where the first American school for the deaf. Oh, was. wow. And almost 200 years ago, I mean, a long time ago. So the cops, a lot of the cops there know sign language. Uh -huh. so tried the same, the same shtick with that, with this officer. <laughs> yeah, if I, you know, and he gave her a tip. He goes, you know, <laughs> I know it. ASL. He goes, you're not pulling this shit over here again tonight. <laughs> Somebody told me about you. <laughs> you know, I, I had a I had a job one time on patrol, and actually two of my cops had it with a deaf couple, and it was a it was a uh, domestic dispute, and it was, they they were so patient with it. When I got there, I was like, bring it into the station house. You got to be kidding me. It was like you know there was no communication, and the guy. The husband was like a big, strong guy, and we wound up locking him up on another time, not that night, but because he kept like stalking her. He had a kid with her, but the job—I mean, it was a joke. And you know, the police department—they have people that do sign language, but good luck getting them on a four to one. You know, everyone that has some special skill in the police department works eight to fours, uh -huh. you know, and then sprints out the door. <laughs> you know, the one thing that we had that was really cool, though was the interpreters we used to have a phone and oh. if you had somebody i had somebody in a robbery 
and they were, you know, they were Asian. So I had to figure out what type of Chinese they spoke. And then I called up, uh, there was a phone, we had a phone and it had two, two, uh, two receivers on it. So I give the one to my victim and I would have the other one. I was like, tell him, ask him what the guy who <laughs> put the gun to his head looked like. And then that guy would tell him, you know, he would speak Chinese to him. And then he would tell me, then he would tell me back. <laughs> That's funny. And because you say that, um, when I was finishing my master's uh, in forensic psych, I was working at Bellevue in the forensic psych ward. And I don't, you guys might remember this guy. He was a Chinese man who had been smuggled over here and was really somebody's slave. The guy treated him like a slave. So he had had enough and he killed the guy. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And he was locked up in Rikers and he killed his cellmate at Rikers. So that's when wow. they shipped him over to Bellevue. But he spoke like some, um, his form of Chinese was like some very remote province. And we had to go to um, NYU to get a professor of Chinese, a Ch you know, that spoke that particular mm -hmm. dialect. And it, what was funny was that she was doing the MMPI and we were in the room with her and him. And because he was from such a remote province, he didn't know, you know, they're talking about like cultural um, affinity for these things. He didn't know half of what she was talking about. It made no sense. So um, the chief psychologist pulled us out of the room and left her in there. And so he was saying, well, this is what we're talking about with people and culture and you know, he doesn't even know what a magazine is or a lady's purse. And in the meantime, the um, interpreter was in the room and it, it was a woman. She was petrified, petrified because she knew that, you know, he had killed two people, uh -huh. you know, but we could still see her. And then we started laughing because the look on her face, we're like, look at her face. She's so scared. Yeah. Which probably isn't nice, but it was funny. no. But you know what's funny is that you just reminded me we had a, a detective in the two six, and you know we're all there in a, for some reason we were in the sergeant's office, and we're talking uh, with the, with this perp, and all of a sudden, for some reason, two of us get called away, and it's just one guy, <laughs> Angel, in the in the in the room. Well, I was in one of the offices, but uh, it was it was three other guys. Two guys get called out, and then it's just Angel in the room there. And all of a sudden, all years, boom, 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 like they were fighting in there. And from what I remember, the story goes, they were all looking in the, through the window of the sergeant's <laughs> office, watching them get beat up until it was time to come in. I'm like, oh, ah, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I was on the desk one time in the two four. And this guy comes in, he starts speaking French to me. And I'm like, and I look next to me and there's this guy, I won't say his last name, but he's Haitian. And he speaks fluent French. And I'm floundering there for like 10 minutes. And I turn to him, I go, Patrick, don't you speak French? He goes, yes. I go, then why aren't you helping me? <laughs> and then he starts talking. I was like, I wanted to kill the guy, you know? Like he was very... <laughs> he was fine with sitting there and doing nothing. And if I didn't know he spoke, he, wasn't French, paying attention. he, he wouldn't have volunteered. <laughs> we, used to, we used to have this sergeant, uh, I forget what his name was, Del Perut or something like that. They used to mess with him real something awful. Uh, gullible, you know, nice guy, but gullible. 
So we had another cop there, and he used to pretend like he used to read the Chinese newspaper in front of him. So he somehow he got his hands on the Chinese newspaper, and he's got it opened up. So somebody calls the sergeant's office and asks for a Chinese interpreter. And he goes, no, I don't think we have anybody. He goes, no, no, yeah, look it up on the paper there, uh, Albrecht. Uh, he, he's a Chinese. So all of a sudden he goes, really? He goes, hey, Dave, do you speak, do you speak Chinese? He closes the Chinese newspaper. He goes, yeah, I'm fluent. So then he picks up the phone and he just starts doing, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> he just hands up to the things we used to, it's just a funny, it's so funny because the guy fell for it. It was, uh, he really thought it was, from that point on, he thought Dave was a Chinese interpreter. <laughs> well, it's just like when you come on the job in the police academy, they have, they give you an index card and they say, what special skills do you have? Mm -hmm. And I remember there was this one guy who used to work with us in the 2-0. He spoke like eight languages. You know what that got him? Put him on a, a wire. Put him on a wire for years. He was so. Oh yeah, yeah. The Russian guy. Told him. Yeah, it, he was so sorry. You talking about the Russian detective, the little guy? No, no. This guy was like he was Italian, but he spoke like seven or eight languages. And he wound up every time they needed someone to listen to a wire, he was uh, stuck on a wire for years. Yeah, there was a Russian guy, and he was stuck on a wire for years doing the Russian uh, mob thing. And uh, somehow, it's I'm, excuse my French here, but. There's a term that you uh, use in the police department. You say he stepped on his dick. That means he's fucked up. <laughs> Somehow, he, you know, because you start thinking you're too big for your britches. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, how many, how many, uh, you know, Afghani interpreters do they have? And guess what? The next class, they have three. Because, so, <laughs> you know, you start getting stuck up. You're like, no, I won't do that. And I won't do this. And you're the only one. And next thing you know, the next class comes out. They got three people speaking the same language. So you're out. They bounced you out. <laughs> well, that's what happened. He had to go to a squad. <laughs> he was living high in the hawk for a while, man. He was doing major cases. That guy. That's crazy. But it got so to his people, Where do you see um, the future of policing in this country going if uh, the, this stuff continues? Um, that's a good question, uh, and I've thought about it. Uh, I, I, you know, we need the police. We, we definitely need the police. Um, but there are people uh, only because of a political uh, ideology just want to get rid of the police, which is impossible. You cannot do that. You know, um, we can't, uh, you know, we, each other, individuals, we make, we're part of a social contract with each other to behave in a certain way. And you need the police um, as protectors. You also need them to, you know, to solve terrible crimes. Uh, there's no, so I, what I see for the next few, maybe next two years, I don't know. Um, and I only say that because something else is going to happen. And those woke people, the cancel culture are going to turn their attention somewhere else. But um, I think probably for the next two years, uh, police are going to be walking on a tightrope. You know. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to. I think it's going to change quicker than that. Like I just, it's too much right now. I think the tide is turning. Um, you can see it all around the country. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm trying to think of the one. 
one city in in California. I don't know what the city. I forget the city. But same, it could be San Bernardino or something. They just uh, last week announced the highest budget for the police department over there. So this is in California, where um, you know they're looking to recall the governor. Yeah. And <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner's up, and looks like a phenomenal candidate who happens to be a Republican. Yeah. Very conservative. So that's the direction a lot of these uh, states have had enough. So I think it's going to happen quicker than two years. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, we're going to go through a summer here in New York City where we're going to be tested. And we're going to be tested throughout the country in these uh, big metropolises. And we're going to see because, you know, we could all hit that wall at the same time. Like enough is enough. This is absolute nonsense. Because anybody who grows, you know, lives in a big city knows the summertime is the time where most of the crime happens because you have more hours of daylight. There's more freaking people out. The weather's nicer on the East Coast. That's when people get killed. That's when people get shot. <laughs> you know, Angela Eng said, the sergeant on the desk asked me if I was fluent in Chinese. I told him not before six and never after eight. He <laughs> 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 wants her OT. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I spoke. I speak Spanish, and I remember. You know, you know, once that gets out, and you're in the squad, forget it. Anytime they need somebody interviewed. You know, and I, I didn't mind it either because it actually sharpened my Spanish. Since I've retired, I don't have an opportunity to speak it as much. And it's, it's you know, the more you practice, the, more, the sharper you are. For somebody who grew up here and, you know, learned Spanish from his, his great-grandmother up until the age of five, six, I, I spoke pretty good when I was on the job. I could, I wouldn't say I could break you in an interrogation using Spanish, but at least I can get a couple things out of you. What's you know? the best rice and beans in Washington Heights? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I remember Crack Chicken over there? What was the name of that place? Uh, Chirpin' Chicken? No, Crack Chicken, we used to call it. But it was, um, oh, man, it was. A, oh, was no, no, it, 100, 160. it was the rotisserie chicken place over there. But the chicken was so good, it, we, we used to call it, it was like crack. <laughs> so we used to call it Crack Chicken. What does mofungo mean? So many restaurants in the Heights are called mofungo. Mofungo is when you use platanos, uh, but not the sweet ones, the green ones. And you kind of sort of squish them up. Use that thing. You squish it up. And yeah. you make it. And then you put either uh, – you put garlic in there. That's a big thing to put garlic in there. And then you could either put shrimp on top or you could put um, – there's different types of mofungo. But shrimp is probably one of the most popular ones, shrimp mofungo. Inside it too, you put the shrimp. And what's what? And what's the the fried bananas again? I remember I used to eat them. I was thinking that that must be twenty two hundred calories per bite. Those fried. Yeah, bananas. you know the funny thing is, you grew up with platano. Yeah. You know, and if you know anything about history, uh, platano, it's not even a, a real. It was a combination of potato and something else that were they made for uh, they they created for the slaves, so they could feed them. Wow. Yeah. I always thought it was a banana. Well, it's not even a real thing. It's it's a, it's a potato mixed with a banana or something like that. Wow. And yeah, they could mass produce it. 
and um, it was for for slaves. Look at my uh, my cousin Dwayne Vasquez. Look at that. I remember we talked a lot about we were uh, kids. It was cool. <laughs> but yeah, it's just so funny. I'm looking at the comments over here. My cousin Dwayne. He lives in Colorado. No, no, he lives in Tampa right now. And uh, we used to play together in Washington Heights over there. And I remember a lot of the detectives in the three four. Even the white detectives, they worked up there for years. They spoke pretty good Spanish just from learning at work, you know? Yeah, you have to know, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I felt like the the retard walking in, the white boy from the suburbs, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I understood like a couple of words from taking high school Spanish, but, you know, it really also could save your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you'd be surprised how many, uh, how many white boys know how to speak Spanish. Well, we had a we had a lineup one time, and all the fillers were cops, and the, the perp didn't know it. And he started confessing to them in Spanish, and, uh, and he didn't know they were cops. And, yeah. and then they came back in their uniforms, and he was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did the confession hold up? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he was picked out in the lineup, too. So, But oh, then okay. he admitted he pointed to me and someone else. He goes, those are the two bastards who locked me up. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. Those are some of the best communities to work in. You know, they're, they're really, uh, you know, food's always great. You know, I worked in, a, in the 110, the 115, man. That was the best. I, wore, I locked up, um, I told you this, I think I said this before on the show. I locked up Batman one night. It was Halloween. <laughs> Colombian guy driving drunk, and uh, he was in a Batman costume. So I had a, he had a lot of he had a, you, when when you lock somebody up for drunk driving, and rather than voucher their stuff, you'd rather call somebody up and have him come and pick it up. His wallet, his little you know, his pinky ring, his his watch, his keys. So I <laughs> turns out it's his wife. So uh, you know, I have her sign the memo book. I give her the stuff, and she says to me, "Little little Spanish lady." Could I say something to him? I said, yeah, we're in the 112. Now, in the 112, if you go in their precinct, from the desk sergeants uh, where he sits to where the cells are, it's it's like a it's like a uh, 15, 20 yards. It's far. Like, <laughs> so I go. I'm talking to the guy, another cop there. I go, yeah, yeah, go, 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 talk to him. He's cuffed to a to a to a pole. So I said, yeah, yeah, go talk to him. Go talk to him. So I'm talking to the cop by here. Like, <laughs> she's walking over there. All of a sudden, she starts punching him. Bang, 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 bang. And then the guy, the cop that was there, he goes, yo, I think Batman's getting fucked up right now. So I look over. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was his wife. He was cuffed. So he couldn't defend himself. He said, bah, bah. And he's like, Oficial, Oficial. He's calling me Officer. Oficial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he <almost> saved me. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She beat the I had to go rip her off. <laughs> Batman got fucked up that night. Anyway, we're coming to an end right now. We got to give a shout out to all the people that tuned in tonight. Yeah, let's see who we got here. Peter Pranz always here. Joan Guerrero, 12-step woman, boxing MMA. Ryan Investigative Group, Bill Ryan. Timmy Costa, thank you so much. Joe Murray, the great attorney Joe Murray, thank you so much. Sandra Rivera, MC's Audio. Um, Joan Guerrero, I may have said you twice, but... Randy Malcolm Lavina, um, New York City 1919, Michael Marcaculi, MC's Audio again, Joan Guerrero again, uh, Scotty Wagner, 
of course, the big attorney, Oscar. Oscar Ferrafino's here all the time. He was Queen's Homicide. Uh, Oscar, you, you came here late. You would have loved the joke. I was in the SBA today, and all these sergeants in suits walked by where they were with Ed Mullen. And I looked at them all, and I said, this place is a fire hazard. And they looked at me, and I said, look at all this dead wood. I used my famous joke. They didn't like it, but it was funny as hell. <laughs> hey, um... I want to Wendy give Malcolm Lavina, Joan. Uh, I think I Robert one two three. I think I got everybody. I want to give a shout out to the first precinct, the cops that have the post. You know, nowadays there actually has to be cops standing in front of the precinct. That's like an actual post, not just one. There's two, there's two in this front, and then there's one around the corner. But I was shooting the. Um, the album cover for my, for my, for my comedy album, and uh, we shot it in front of the first precinct. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, I'm hoping that it turns out the way I want it. It's it's me standing in front of the precinct, holding a microphone stand, and then they're throwing like Molotov cocktails at me, and there's like graffiti on the wall, <laughs> like fuck the police and shit like that. And I'm like ducking out of the way like that. So that that's the idea, the premise for the for the comedy album. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, no. Well, get it, Mark. I thought you know. No, no. I just wanted to say. Uh, oh, we should mention the uh, the meet and greet that we have, Bill. Yeah, I, I was just going to do that on um, Tuesday, uh, five eighteen at seven p.m. Three fifty West Forty Sixth Street at Bar Doe Restaurant, which is owned by retired Captain Joe Lisi, uh, who's not just a retired captain; he's the most successful actor in NYPD history of a former member of the service. Call up, make reservations. Mark and I are going to be there to meet and greet. We'll kiss babies. We'll shake hands. We'll uh, take photos with you. We'll uh, we'll give paw prints. I don't think anyone would want our autograph, but uh, we'll, we'd love to see you come there, and uh, it's going to be a great night. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Aviva, you got any last words? You got anything you're plugging, anything you're pushing? Um, Just – uh, look out for my article. I'm submitting it to. Um, where, where do we find these articles? What the? Oh, this is where, one that I've written. They're like, in, like where journal. do you put them? Like which this, one? Um, they're uh, academic journals. Like uh -huh. what I'm submitting is, I'm going to submit it to the Journal of Theoretical Criminology. Yeah, because I read all the academic journals, so I just wanted to know which. One. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you read them. <laughs> I I belong to the Society of Police and Criminal Psychology, and I have been for 21 years. And um, they have a great journal. Um, but you know, do you have a blog and stuff too? Do you do any other type of? Because I wanted before we go, let me ask you about you because you mentioned you write. So tell me about your writing process because I write. Bill writes. Uh, what, what's your writing process like? You wake up tomorrow morning and. Tell us what your day is like. Um, well, I'm working a what we used to call in acting a job job, but I, so usually it starts like with an idea when I write, and it's something that pesters me until I start doing research on it. Whether I'm looking up terms on Google or looking at journals that might discuss it, and it just kind of germinates from this idea. And then I can start writing something. And academic writing is um, weird because 
even if it's not, you know, uh, do, you're not doing hypothesis testing, uh, but you're doing more of a theoretical piece, you still have to like come up with some type of statement, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, so that, that can be hard. It's like trying to um, articulate that. Uh, but that's, that's my process. And once I'm able to do that and concretely so that I understand what I'm talking about or what I want to talk about, and then I just start writing. And How many hours a day are you putting into that? Like, I can put in up to three hours a day. Really? Yeah. Um, I found the days when I was writing a lot, when I was writing my one-man show and uh, creating whatever act I was doing, eight, ten hours. I remember I had to go pick up my kids from school, and I'd still be in my bathrobe. And it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And I woke that was up. when he thought he was Rodney Dangerfield, you know? No, it was just because you get in front of the computer and you start like, you know, for some people, I think writing it comes a little bit easier. But for me, um, oh, you know what? Forget about that. I want to ask you one more question before we go. When we talk about the police officers that become police officers and the, the traits, um, tell me, because a lot of these cops that are coming on right now, they have college degrees. Not only do they have the, the 60 required credits, but these people that are yelling and spitting and cursing and throwing Molotov cocktails at these officers, a lot of them have full, uh, the four-year degrees, and they chose to come on this job because they wanted to make a difference. Right. So which, co which cops are better off at handling those type of situations, that cop or the guy who, like me, you know, I graduated high school but not, not far from the top of my class. Um, and then my little college that I had, but or you came from the military, those guys, the GED guys, because you can get on with a GED. Um, I think, well, I think one of the reasons, like Massachusetts had the Quinn Bill, and it um, paid to give raises to officers who got their bachelor's, and then also a pay raise to those who got masters. But then they, they stopped it. But the rationale behind it was a better educated cop is going to be a better cop. But do you think that's true, though? I really don't think that it's true. Uh, because this is the people who major in criminal justice. And that was what I was teaching in like, those departments. Um, they're not really getting the full curriculum. So you'd have these kids who were cop wannabes and they, you know, they were never going to be cops. You just, I mean, I, you just knew it. Um, and then you'd have police officers who already had that experience. So what are you going to teach them? You know, if that makes any sense, what I'm saying. So, well, I meant, I meant that like a little rougher around the edges, you know what I'm saying? I think that's, what's more important when it comes to, they're becoming a police officer. I don't know how much the, the, the college actually helps or or being an academic when you actually have to get your hands dirty and you're working in the street. But uh, we'll bring that back on another day. We'll have you back and we'll, we'll finish the story. Yeah, because- Mark, I just want to mention uh, who we got coming up next week. On Monday, we have a Dr. Richard Schobel, who is an expert on human trafficking, Ooh. and he's going to come on the show. Uh, Tuesday, we have Tommy Dades, the great first-grade detective who put away the mafia cops. 
Uh, he's going to be on with Phil Grimaldi. And Thursday, we have the Nassau County Police Commissioner, wow. Patrick Ryder, is coming on. That so, is amazing. Yeah, he's, uh, it's going to be great. And he, uh, he reached out to us. He was former NYPD, and that's going to be a great show. I want to see when my number's coming up. I'm still waiting to get on that job. On the NASA job, I don't think you can. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> I, took, I took that test 20, 22 years ago. I think my number's coming up. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Aviva. I just, I have a former student who's a lieutenant here in Massachusetts. He is, he's, he's a guy who gets his hands dirty all the time and he's rough around the edges, but what a gentleman. I would love to bring him. Well, you know, we were trying to get the guys from the um, the police department near Boston that shot it out with the Zarnayev brothers. In fact, I have one of the sergeants uh, who wanted to come on the show, but he's not that he wanted to do it live in a studio, and we stopped doing it in the studio. It's actually his last name's McClellan, and he he was coming on. He was one of the guys that shot it out with the. You know, the Boston Marathon Bombers. Yeah, yeah. Hamelin and Jokar Zarnayev. Yeah. What a story that was. I would love to have them on, you know. That was something. Yeah. So. NYC 1919 says, great show. Thank you. Thank you, NYC 19. All our uh, fans who are listening, thank you so much. And on behalf of Bill Cannon and Mark DeMeo and Dr. Aviva Twersky, good night from Police Off the Cuff. Good night. Good night.